now it's time for your feature report. Coming up, we have the latest edition of Civic Conversations, a podcast collaboration between WFHB and the League of Women Voters in Bloomington, Monroe County. Today's episode of Civic Conversations focuses on climate change. Host Jim Allison speaks with Melissa Wildham, operations manager of the Purdue University Climate Change Research Center. We turn to host Jim Allison for more. You're listening to Civic Conversations, a podcast collaboration between the League of Women Voters, Bloomington, Monroe County, and WFHB. I'm Jim Allison, your host, and Becky Hill is our producer. We're pleased to say that you can find Civic Conversations every month on WFHB at 93.1 and 98.1 FM. Today, we're pleased to welcome Melissa Winnell of the Purdue University Climate Change Research Center to talk about climate change in Indiana. Melissa, thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. Let's start by asking, what is the Purdue University Climate Change Research Center? What does it do? How is it funded? And are there any other such centers in American universities or this unique? So the Purdue Climate Change Research Center really acts as a hub on the Purdue University campus for people who want to work across disciplines on issues related to Earth's changing climate. So our center helps connect these researchers together. We help support collaborative projects, and we help share the findings and expertise with stakeholders outside of our university. As for our funding, effectively 100% of our funding comes from Purdue University. We have a very small uh, amount of supplemental funding from external donors, but it's relatively small compared to Purdue's contributions. And as for other centers across the U.S., uh, there are many other centers that do some of the things we do. But what's unique about our center is that we've been around a while. We were established in 2004, and we have such diversity in our expertise. We actually have over 90 faculty that are affiliated with our center that represent 30 different academic departments on our campus. You start by telling us, what is the state climate assessment? What are the standard procedures for local climate assessments, such as the Indiana Climate Impacts Assessment? So state climate assessments are actually growing in popularity. Uh, If we look across the U.S., we now have about 27 states that have a state assessment on record. Uh, But there really are no standard practices for conducting them. So you're going to see a lot of variation in how they're done why they're done, who's involved, and even how it's paid for. So as for the Indiana Climate Change Impacts Assessment, this was a voluntary, unfunded effort led by Purdue University to really document what changing climate conditions mean for state and local interests. The main product from our work has been a series of individual sector-based reports that we developed with contributions from about 100 experts across the state, representing over a dozen organizations. And so it was really a collaborative effort. And uh, with this assessment, we want to support non-scientists in furthering their awareness about climate change, really give them that fundamental knowledge that they need to start moving forward and do something about this climate challenge. Sounds very timely to me. Say, I... uh... I happened to read a paper you co-authored last year in which I read about a program focused on climate change in Indiana. 
a state that you describe as a, quote, politically conservative state that has seen little state level attention to the issue, end quote. Uh, could you tell us more about that? Well, as I just mentioned, there are a lot of variations in state climate assessments. Um, when you look across the board, about half of the assessments have actually been conducted to fulfill a state-level mandate. And in nearly all instances of these state assessments that we reviewed, state agency personnel and elected officials play a pretty strong role in the assessment process. But this is not the case with Indiana. Okay, In Indiana, this was um, a bottom-up voluntary effort, and we had minimal involvement from our state officials. And so really we lack in our state policies that help us cope with climate change impacts, and we lack policies to address the root causes. And so that makes our assessment look quite a bit different than some of the other states. Well, as a lot of you said for bottom-up initiatives, I think. And I also think that a lot of listeners would like to hear from you about climate change implications for the Indiana economy, especially including agriculture. For example, might we possibly move away from corn and from soybeans toward grains that are more adapted to higher temperatures? And talk a little bit about loss of topsoil, if you will, too. Well, we grow the best corn and soybeans in the whole world right here in Indiana. And I really don't see us fully moving away from those crops. However, if we look at the outlooks for our climate by the middle of the century, it is showing a strong need for agriculture to adapt to those warmer, drier summers and to adapt to those wetter springs. So we're looking at up to a 15% reduction in yield potential for corn due to those high temperatures and that added moisture stress. We're talking about declining soil health and higher rates of soil erosion as we see those heavy downpours increasing. We're looking at increased expenses to manage our egg drainage infrastructure. So there will certainly be this need for farmers to adapt to changing conditions. And for some of those farmers, diversifying their cropping systems really might be a viable option. However, right now it's really unknown as to what those specific crop types would be. What's gonna come in next to help uh, replace some of those corn and soybean acres? Um, we're doing some research on that, but we don't have an answer yet. Now, besides crop diversification, certainly crop genetics are gonna play a really important role in adapting to the climate. And they've already been playing an important role over the last several decades. And the good news is we have a number of farming practices like cover cropping and conservation tillage that help farmers deal with some of the problems they're seeing today with soil erosion, some of those climate impacts, but they also help buffer against some of those future impacts. And so there's a lot going on in the egg space right now in Indiana. Sounds like a lot of major changes coming on our way and we better get better for them. Uh, what about city life, though? What about everyday city life? Are there new ways to cool down our streets, our roofs, our buildings? So right now, more than half of our global population lives in urban areas. And did you know that cities account for about two-thirds of our world's energy demand? And they make up over 70% of our carbon dioxide emissions, which is that main contributor to our shifting climate. So we definitely need cities to be part of the conversation when we're talking about coping with these climate change impacts and when we're talking about solving the climate challenge. 
So this includes reimagining how we lay out our cities, reimagining how we move around our cities, reimagining how we build our cities, okay? Because the reality is, regardless of climate change, our cities are warmer than surrounding rural areas due to the urban heat island effect. And so better building materials can not only cool down local areas, but they can help fight climate change too. And let me give you two examples. So the first one um, just came out earlier this year where we had a group of Purdue engineers develop ultra white paint that reflects up to 98% of incoming sunlight. And so those researchers estimated that if you took this ultra white paint and you covered a roof area about 1,000 square feet, that would uh, be an equivalent to a cooling power of 10 kilowatts. And so for perspective, that is more power than central air conditioners um, that are used in most houses. So this paint's so white and stays so cool that the surface is about eight degrees cooler compared to the surrounding areas during high noon, during strong sunlight. That's pretty incredible. And so that's certainly gonna help us adapt or adjust to those climate impacts. But I also said better building materials can be part of the climate solution too. And let me give you one example there. Last year, Purdue University researchers were actually finding a new additive to include in cement that would help the cement absorb more CO2, about twice as much CO2 as it currently absorbs. And so the goal here is to have that cement taking up as much CO2 as it's producing when that cement is being made. So in the end, balancing it out so that cement production isn't as much of a contributor to climate change. Brilliant, brilliant design that could have some major effects. I like that very much. Uh, let me see if, if I can get you to get into politics a little bit. What do you think about the recent activity in the state legislature about Indiana's wetlands? And of course, we're talking here about water. Everything depends on water. So what are the implications for the state's water resources? Cover those two things. Sure. Well, often when people hear about climate change, their mind quickly goes to temperature. But shifting rainfall patterns changes in our hydrological cycle, those are really important parts of the conversation too, and especially here in the Midwest. If we look just at Indiana, today we get about six and a half inches more annual rainfall than we did 125 years ago. Heavy downpours are getting bigger. They're happening more often. And the best available science is telling us to expect these trends in our hydrologic system to continue and intensify. So we're anticipating wetter, wetter winters, wetter springs, drier summers, drier falls. All of this is gonna affect the timing and the amount of water available. And not only the amount and timing, but also the quality of the water that we have available. So the bottom line when it comes to the state's water resources is that management is going to be so important, but it's going to be difficult in a changing climate to do that. Don't forget our wetlands of the Indiana legislature. Sure, sure. So um, as many of us know and understand, wetlands really are an important part of our ecosystem. Um, so much so that it's actually a topic that comes up across several of the sector reports. 
um, wetlands aren't just for wildlife, right? We humans depend on wetlands to help us manage our rainfall, manage our water, improve our water quality, right? We call those ecosystem services. Those are the positive benefits we get out of natural features in the environment. So what I can tell you is that those ecosystem services are only going to become more important as we see Indiana's rainfall increasing. They're going to be more important as we see greater risk of flooding. So in a changing climate, it is absolutely critical that we protect this valuable natural resource. I hope our legislature is listening. How do you propose to tell our citizens what they should know about the effects of climate change in their own lives and what they can do about them? So one of the goals of our assessment really was to help citizens recognize that climate change is an important local issue and that it has far-reaching consequences in the day-to-day lives of Hoosiers. And so, as I mentioned before, we wrote these reports in a non-technical way to try to appeal to as broad of audience as possible. But in addition to that, we've also been trying to get the word out in many other ways. We've done about 200 local events throughout the last couple of years with professionals and decision makers and concerned citizens, where we have that opportunity to share these findings and to do some one-on-one Q&A to help people understand this issue. We've compiled fact sheets. We've compiled discussion guides. We have a monthly newsletter. Uh, We work with local media, right? We try to help help them share this information in print and in online stories, also on the radio. So the hub for all of this information that I'm talking about is our website. And listeners who are interested in these reports and any of the other resources from our climate assessment can find it all at indianaclimate.org. What uh, can you offer our schools in the way of efforts or resources? Anything special there? Well, I'm glad you asked. This is such an important topic, educating our youth and getting our resources to teachers to help them do that. And I'm excited to tell you, we do, in fact, have a new tool that we co-developed with the Indiana Department of Education, which is called the Indiana Climate Change Education Framework. So this is a searchable database that connects teachers to climate change resources. But what's special is that these climate change resources are aligned with existing Indiana academic standards for science. So we tried to make it as easy as possible for our teachers to figure out where and how they can work climate change into their existing uh, lesson plans. So it's a pretty neat tool and I hope people will go check it out. In addition to that tool, the Purdue Climate Change Research Center also hosts periodic professional development trainings for teachers. And we have a few print ready lesson plans that guide students through some data analysis that comes straight out of the Indiana Climate Change Impacts Assessment. And you can find links to all of our educational materials on the Purdue website at purdue.edu slash climate. Got it. Thank you so much, Melissa Winhelm. And thanks to our radio audience for listening to us on Civic Conversations. This is Jim Allison of League Women Voters, Bloomington, Monroe County. The League is a nonpartisan, grassroots, citizen-led organization that has fought since 1920 to improve our government and engage all citizens in the decisions that impact their lives. Next month, please join us when we talk about reasonable gun control measures with Jennifer Hahn 
of the Indiana chapter of Moms Demand Action. Civic Conversations airs once a month on the WFHB Local News. You can find this program online or wherever you listen to your podcasts.